Welcome to the Don Podcast, a Minnesota music conversation. Recorded at CCX Studio. Produced by Javi. Engineered by Jimmy Morris. And now, here's your host. We're joined on this episode by Brent Arns. Uh, not only does he lead the band Flip, he's also been involved in every aspect of the music business, both in the local and national uh, level. Uh, currently, he's involved in a variety of projects on different levels, along with making brand new music with Flip. Uh, he has such an interesting music career that I don't think that we can really cover it on one podcast. So uh, I've asked him if he would be kind of a regular on the show. He's agreed. Yes. And so about every maybe five, six months, he'll come in and talk about a different chapter in his uh, career. And uh, I'm really thankful for that because I think it'll be really interesting listening to all the different things that he's done. So uh, hopefully about midsummer we'll go out to his uh, rehearsal studio and uh, maybe even get a little bit of live music out of Flip from uh, from uh, episode. So I, I appreciate you doing that, Brent. My pleasure, I appreciate pleasure, you Don. coming in and, and talking to us. So uh, this will be kind of chapter one of uh, Brent Irons. And, uh, Did you talk to my doctor or something? <laughs> Am I not feeling well that I don't know of? And we're going to give him a Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, we're going to talk about maybe the basic bands, the uh, the hard, the the foundation that 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 you started out with. So um, let's start out with the early, 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 early. The very first. Very, well, let's even start out with what made you pick up a guitar. What uh, I mean, what? Well, I'll, my dad had a fifteen dollar uh, Stella Harmony guitar that you could order. You familiar? You could order through the Sears catalog for $15, and he knew one song called Not in the Devil's Tail. Oh, cool. It's a cool song. I've recently looked it up, it's, uh-huh. and a ton of people had done it. And uh, so I used to take the guitar and sit on my steps in in the house and just kind of learn how to make different sounds with it. Now I want to say I was in third or fourth grade at this time. And that's when I first picked up the guitar. Okay, and and then so, uh, so then that was the song. Then that kind of made you want to play. I mean, your dad being like your dad was kind of what you made you want to pick up a guitar and play. Yes. And, okay. So then, when did it become an exception? He obsession? couldn't. My funny thing is, is he he really couldn't play though. Um, <laughs> he knew like two chords. It's not like my dad's a guitar so player. So he's, he's like all the other guitar players. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Keith Richards, he only knows two chords. Um, I'm trying to think. The Johnny Cash TV show, Hello, My Name is Johnny Cash. Mm -hmm. I thought he was super cool. Uh, We had also taken in, at the time, what was called a foster sister. Maybe it still is. And she had Three Dog Night Records, Jackson 5 Records, Temptations Records, uh, and that really sucked mm. me in. The Temps and mm-hmm. Three Dog Night really sucked me in. Okay. And uh, and you've still got a lot of uh, inspiration. I don't know inspirations that the word, but you, you you still like a lot of that kind of music. The, I the do. Partridge Fam, the the really bubble gummy poppy, really. Well, I would yeah. That stuff. if you put it, is that is Minnesota thing? Ixnay on the Menengen, whatever. <laughs> not that Partridge Family never did it for me. Jackson Five, I certainly loved. You do. Oh, uh, 
but wild I, horses is Osmonds. I guess I was thinking crazy of horses. Crazy horses is Osmonds. Yeah, um, that's the Osmonds. Yeah, but I mean that kind of stuff. That that cheeky kind of Archie's. Yes. Uh, different things. Pop culture based right. stuff really sticks with you a lot. It does, and I mean you would literally put Kiss right in that category. Mm-hmm. So yes. Yeah. And then you know. It was really album-wise. I remember when Smoke on the Water and Iron Man came out. 1972, Deep Purple and Black Sabbath at the same time. That was a big one. Those two songs okay. were big ones. And that would have been, you would have been quite a bit older then. So so is that when you started thinking, I want to be in a band? or? Well, after I had played my dad's Stella Harmony on the steps for about a half a year, there was a hippie in Cowan Elementary School by the name of John Stangle, who ran like the uh, the music thing and offered acoustic guitar lessons, mm. folk guitar lessons. Okay. They were not called acoustic guitar lessons <laughs> in 1969, 19, so they were called folk guitars. And uh, so I went in with him, but I had already known a few chords. And he had taken me aside afterwards and told me, you know, Bryn, you can really put your play, your hands sound good on that guitar or whatever. And it was a really crappy guitar. You could barely tune it. Um, and uh, so I studied a li- or worked harder, I guess, on playing the guitar. It didn't seem like work because I enjoyed it. So I refrained from using the word work. About six months later in the fifth grade, in front of the whole grade school, I played three songs, one on banjo, one on ukulele, and one on acoustic guitar, a.k.a. folk guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I played Dead Skunk in the Middle of the Road oh, by Jim Stafford. Yeah. You remember that oh, song? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stinking to the high <laughs> heaven. A Boy Named Sue and Leaving yep. on a Jet Plane. Okay. I don't know, I don't remember which song I played on which instrument, but I think I played Leave It On A Jet Plane on acoustic guitar, and now Flip still does that song. You did that. I still in, play it. Yeah, you did that in the studio solo once, and I was just blown away by your solo. Thank you. By, by doing acoustic solos. I mean, it's so different from, from the other stuff that you do. It's just amazing that the amount of talent that you have is kind of really oh, amazing on the different things. Well, so you, you hear, you know, you hear, you hear a song like Change, and then you hear a song like freak and then you hear you do acoustic guitar thing and then you know i've been to a couple of your rehearsals and stuff and 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 you see you do different things and especially like during hairdo uh when you're with flip and you and you just all of a sudden you know you pull out these licks and you're just doing them and the band follows you and it's just amazing that the what goes through your head and and and, and some <laughs> of the stuff that you know that, that you pull out sometimes you know it's it's just really fun that's what makes everything so much fun and fun being around you is you just don't know what's going to happen next just like doing the uh, crazy horses and yeah. then you did that at the at first at first avenue on that yeah. night with clay howard i mean who would have thought you would come out and, and do that song of all songs yeah and it, and it fits yes and, and it's just it's just cool that it's unpredictable and it fits huge surprise really interesting that you do that kind of stuff and it's interesting to find out where that stuff comes yeah, from yeah and you know? like you said it does it has that fun little flip kitsch factor uh-huh. to it mm-hmm. we're, so, so what we're was, serious about this but not too serious <laughs> let's not get carried away yeah <laughs> so what was the uh, first band then that uh well ash of evil okay was my very first band Kerry Dombrock was the drummer who went on later to become the drummer in the regime mm-hmm. in my opinion 
St. Paul, the Twin Cities' best metal band ever to come out of the Twin Cities, in my opinion, okay. was the regime. Uh, the singer, Scott Yonch, I just think is friggin' killer. Uh, so in sixth grade, I lived across the street from a hockey rink, North uh, Housie Park, and I'm playing hockey. And Kerry Dombrock is out there playing hockey, too. And he was mentioning that he saw me play guitar in front of the whole school and <laughs> and said, I have a drum set. And I said, well, I have an electric guitar now and an amp. My parents had got me a Ward's amp mm. and a cheap Tisco guitar, you know, the $29 deal. I love he knows <laughs> it all. And, uh, and I literally th that night put my amp on a steel runner sled and my guitar, and he lived three blocks down the hill from me, and we we brought my amp down there, and we started jamming, and the good news is is his mom came down and took pictures. Oh, cool. I have photographs of that very first, first time. Huh? First just, just time. Just you and the drummer? Yep, just Carrie and I. And we started a band called Ash of Evil, um, and we stayed together from the sixth grade till I graduated high oh, school. Oh, really? Wow. So we were together, what is that, six, seven yeah. years? Right, right off the bat. Right out of the gate. And uh, our first concert was at Cowan Elementary School, John Stangle. I said, John, I have a band. Can we play here? Now, at this time, we were just called Ash. The band, <laughs> the band went from Ash of Evil to Evil Ash to Ash. Now, in my memory, that was like a year but I'm guessing it was really about three weeks. Right. <laughs> you know, back then, it was right. like one day felt like a month. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he let us play at the end of the school day. The whole school came to the gymnasium to watch us play. School got out at 3 o'clock. We went on at 2.30, and we got to play from 2.30 to 3. Um. One of the songs in the set list was School's Out by Alice mm. Cooper. And believe it or not, in my sixth grade brain, here was my thought. Yeah. Kitsch already at work. Let's close the show with School's Out at 3 o'clock because the actual school bell mm. will ring just like at the end of the song. Well, the one thing I didn't take into consideration <laughs> was how excited we would be, and we'd play every song two times too fast. So we got done about 10 to 3. <laughs> Such an important learning. Yeah. It really was. Two things happened that day that were really important. First was, you know, don't plan anything for the end of the show other than... So we had to vamp on schools out until the bell rang for like five minutes. The other thing I learned, which was really kind of interesting... Uh, well, one interesting thing I'm proud to add is that set list contained three of my original songs. Oh, already. already. I was up for... I mean, I was... I never... The idea of playing somebody else's songs or playing my own, it seemed like the same thing to mm -hmm. me. I didn't, it wasn't intimidating to right. me. It wasn't anything. So the other, the other learn I got from that gig that was really good is my good friend Bill Walters came up to me and I had my hair all teased up and crazy and stuff. And once again, we have to remember this is like 1972, mm -hmm. 73. I mean, literally just post hippie days, right? Real hippie days. 
that counselor John Stangle I mentioned is actually like the spitting image of your cliche post 60s hippie counselor like you would see on Saved by the Bell or something right right down exactly that but Bill Walters came up and he goes Brent how did you get your hair like that I said on a whim it just came out of me I said I washed it in ketchup the next day I came back to school (laughs) people weren't asking me about the songs they weren't asking me about my guitar they weren't asking me about a practice or the other band members they were asking me about the ketchup in my hair that's when i learned about the power of of press, press or yeah. whatever you want to call yeah. it that just that thing mm-hmm. and uh give them something to talk about right right then i learned the power of that it was like so we played for 30 minutes i've been not busting my butt trying to be good but being good was important to me being a good musician mm-hmm. and being a good band and you're interested in the ketchup in my hair <laughs> it was a real right, learn right yeah yeah so and then uh so we've got uh, and then you it, have an ash of evil song <sighs> that we're gonna play um and i can't and, believe it <laughs> and you found this on a cassette so do you yes. go do you find a lot of stuff that you do just going through your i mean you must have a ton of stuff from uh, recordings and and different things that you've done that you've forgotten about or that well this one that came you're finding. through the singer of ash of evil okay. pearl evil ash ash all the same band um he happened to have it and he sent it to me and it, and i remember the day perfectly oh, okay. it was so carrie and i the drummer had jammed a couple times now it's time to start a band well i got i have this buddy of mine rick newman who's like an electronic whiz and he plays piano and what, what made him an electronic whiz in 1972? He had faders on his lights in his bedroom. That was a big new thing back then, right? So, God, he's smart, you know. Will you join our band? So he became the singer. And I remember we went up to his bedroom. It was on the second floor. And we played Smoke on the Water, which is on that tape, and he was smart enough to record it. Mm -hmm. So what you're hearing is literally like, we're playing Smoke on the Water like the week it came out. Okay. And I was so proud to hear hear it. There's a lot of noise and racket, of course, going on, but we were in tune. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was really surprised to hear that my guitar sounds exactly the same (laughs) as it does today. I haven't gotten any better or any worse. <laughs> so we're going to go into that. Uh, this is going to be uh, Ash of Evil. <laughs> what and a this great is band be, name. And it's going to be uh, Smoke on the Water. And before we play this, yes, sir. Smoke on the Water, obviously, oh, is a, a, a song that you say this to. Also, your music. How should we, uh, how should we play this? Uh, what do you mean? Should we play it low? Low? Should we play it low? Should we play it high? I don't know what that means. Should we crank it? Oh God, good is this, lord! Is this was I just I was this, I missed that. Is, I missed that. He threw is, me a nice sweet <laughs> pitch and I swung. Here's what I suggest you do. Crank it.
<laughs> ashes of evil <laughs> with uh, That's pure evil, smoke on right. the water. And then you said the, the second half of that was one of your own songs. That was. It was my song called Freedom. Like I said earlier, the idea, to me, the album cover, the, the album itself, the live performance, the poster, the video, all of that, the song, it's all the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're not... I don't compartmentalize each thing as a separate entity. Right. To me, they're just like just like breakfast cereal. Mm -hmm. The free inside, <laughs> the box, uh -huh. everything is part of the breakfast cereal experience. And that was really cool that, that even in rehearsals, you blended one song to the other. Yeah. You know, that they just blended really well together. So you guys are really on, on a... Well, on, there on a were, mind frame there of, of playing, you know? Well, there was, here. there's another factor for that, and it might be this. So, like I said earlier, we were rehearsing in Rick Newman's uh, bedroom, which was on the second floor. Uh, it was in the summertime, and he opened up his window. There were three girls out into the street <laughs> standing outside the window listening to us. So there's a good chance we didn't want to stop yeah. because, <laughs> yeah, because it was working. Um and then the other thing is what, you were about seventh grade, eighth grade here, you thinking? Uh, somewhere around in there? When that, when, when that this, recording, yeah. sixth or seventh grade. Okay. Yep. So when I'm in sixth or seventh grade and I'm coming home and I'm telling my mom I'm going to start playing Smoke on the Water and be called Ashes of Evil, I'm guessing I'm going to my room for a month or two months. I mean, your parents must have been very... They're so cool very, about it. Now that yep. I... I came home I mean, day. Ashes of Evil in seventh grade and you're playing Smoke on the Water and, you know... Totally. And your and your hair and your image and all that it's got to be um, it's got to be real a lot of support there you know it you know it was silent support pretty much um, I think they were just glad I found something to do <laughs> uh, yeah they were super cool about it one day I came home back in the day there was a thing in the newspaper remember the thrifties oh, yeah. forty dollar yep. limit anything you're selling under $40 mm -hmm. I came home one day and my mother and father had bought in two cheap electric guitars from the thrifties mm -hmm. and I got to pick one and they would resell the other one mm okay I mean how cool is yeah. that yeah so yeah. that's really cool and my dad also turned one of our home little home stereos mm -hmm. into a guitar amplifier for me okay so so they were there I mean you know big time but, but that makes a big difference in a lot of that stuff too my mother is very pro art mm -hmm. very pro art and my dad is you know an inventor is, yeah you so the creative element is certainly there as well mm -hmm. so yeah i feel really lucky um so did you go right from that band into obsession or how, no, did, the, how did the pretty close though because like i said that band was literally i mean god i think about it today Excuse me, I'm chewing a grape. <laughs> uh, I think about it today, the idea of a band at that age staying together. Mm, yeah. And we all had to, we were all athletes too, as everybody was pretty much mm -hmm. back then, little league sports and stuff. We all had to quit school sports because we rehearsed after school. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't, I had to stop, you know, I was a lover of baseball, loved playing baseball. I, I had to stop. Yeah. Couldn't do it in the seventh grade. I think I played two. I had two practices when it was just like, nope, mm. this ain't gonna work. I'd rather be be playing, huh? Yeah. So how did uh, Ashes of Evil turn into? Oh yeah, obsession. 
Um, well, see, Ash of Evil disbanded when we graduated. Then I joined another band called Altair, A-L-T-A-I-R, with Mike Hop and Scott Cummel. That band, we played a couple, they were AA guys. Okay. And we played a couple AA parties. Um, but not much happened. Then what happened is I graduated high school early with extra credits. My last year of school, I only had a half a year of school left. I moved out of the house pretty much right when I turned 18 and moved to Minneapolis. Okay. And so I had all this in-between stuff, and that's little bands. Mm -hmm. I was even in an acoustic duo once with my neighbor, Larry <laughs> Miller. We were doing Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young oh, songs really? and yeah. stuff. Once again, just post-hippie stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you got to remember this. I mean, it's still literally 72 is close. 1972 is being clo is closer to being 1965 than it is to 1979, yeah, yeah, yeah. for instance. So uh, um, when I moved to Minneapolis, that was when I saw a greater support system from my friends, from the people around me. Uh, a main person was a girl named Caroline Stradcutter, a friend of mine, who really helped encourage me in that way. So that's when I started forming Obsession. Okay. Dave Reese, who went on to sing with Accept, he sang in Dare Force for a little while, was the lead singer. Carrie Dombrock from Ash of mm. Evil and Pearl okay. was the drummer. Jeff Loven was the guitar player, and I don't even think we had a bass player. And then that lineup just kind of kept revolving and evolving until it landed. But do you, that you you put them together then? I mean, that was your Me that was your Jeff concept? and I basically okay. yes. And obsession literally came from. Carol and I, Caroline Stradcutter and I shared a house on Blaisdell Avenue in Minneapolis. There was another roommate there named Cindy Gregory. She came up with the name Obsession. Oh, okay. Yeah. But but based off of a UFO album. There's a UFO <laughs> album called Obsession. Uh, Can't stop munching. So then uh, uh, how did you meet Neil and... and I mean, Greg, who's been with you now mm. forever and okay, ever and yeah. ever. You said that there was a kind of a <clears throat> revolving lineup, but then the, the, the final lineup, how long did that? Good question. So before I had met Jeff, I think this is how it goes, he was in a band called Viper, a Twin oh, Cities. Oh, I remember that band. Greg was in yeah. that band. Oh, really? Yes. So Obsession, okay, right. This is kind of how it started out. I got to think this through. So I started Obsession with... Dave Reese and Jeff Loven and Todd McNerlin. No, Kerry Dombrock on drums at first. And then Jeff brought in Todd McNerlin. And then I believe Dave joined Dare Force. Okay. Then at that point, Jeff, myself, and Todd rented a room underneath... Uh, What's uh, Blaisdell Bowling Alley? What's that bowling alley on Lake and Blaisdell? Oh, Lake Street Bowl? Some, no? Something like that. They even have shows there and stuff. Oh, sometimes. oh, um, 
Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. Um, we rented a rehearsal room underneath there. Of course, that it was it was a bowling alley, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like the hipster. It's kind of a hipster yeah. joint, yeah. right? Um, there, and it was just the three of us, and we started auditioning bass players. Met a guy named Rick Birdall, who started playing bass with us. And we went around, Jeff and I traded lead vocals, and we went and played some junior high schools and some high schools and stuff. And once again, remember, I mean, we were just out of high school. And as things progress, as they do, people come and band members go, and Jeff and I were really serious about it. Him and I, we ended up putting an ad in a pay, in the in the city pages looking for a lead singer. Well, it sure seems like a lot of people that I talk to on this, they all go through, you know, city pages or yep. uh, the sweet potato or whatever. It's sweet, all those yeah, ads. Yeah, whatever it was called at the time. Yeah, I think you're right. It was ads. sweet potato yeah. at the time. Uh, Brian Lake Bowl is what you say. Brian Lake yeah, Bowl. Yeah, in Thank the basement you. Brian Lake Bowl. Yeah. Um, and then so. Uh, and that was like 1980. Uh-huh. That would have been the end of 79, 1980. And you guys were together. The obsession lineup. Once you got it set and stuff, we we're together for what, fifteen, ten years, fifteen, yeah, more than that even. Yeah. And uh, and and now, you know, you talked about uh, one of the guys went to Dare Force. Um, were you playing the same time as like Dare Force and Chameleon? They and, were ahead of us. Okay. They were before us, but we got up there really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up sharing management with chameleon okay um and the one thing that kind of set us apart from those bands was half of our material was original material mm-hmm. now chameleon they put up they had put out at that time had put out two records and they right. were huge in the ballroom circuit yeah. which is a throwback to the 1950s way cool that era so glad i was a part of it um but the truth is, at their shows, they were still 99% cover material. Mm-hmm. They weren't, like, really trying to be an original act, which was right. my focus, absolutely. Um, I remember very specifically having to go to clubs and playing three sets and thinking to myself, that's three beginnings and three endings and three middles. I can't do that. I want to put on a show. A show needs a beginning, a middle, and an end, not three beginnings. Mm-hmm. He said, can we take those three 15-minute breaks and either put them before our show <laughs> or after our show? Uh-huh. And we'll play straight through. Yeah. And they let us do that. Um, I got in trouble with our booking agent for it. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to name it's, drop. Go ahead. Because this pissed me off, and it still <laughs> pisses me off. A guy named John Domigal at Marsh Productions, who was booking Obsession, I had gone to a club earlier the day we were going to play and had taken all the tables out without... I didn't tell anybody. I just went back into where the area where the band <laughs> plays, and I pushed all the tables and the chairs to the back of the room so when people came there to see us, they would have to come up yep. to the front of the stage. I tried to create a concert atmosphere, you know? It was all about trying to create a concert in a mm-hmm. club. Yep. Not. I didn't want to be a, a jukebox break band, you know? And the next day, I get called up to the offices at Marsh Production, and John Domigo looks at me, and he literally, dude, he told me, Bryn, you will never play this town again. <laughs> he literally said that to me. So 
flash forward 25 years later, <laughs> I'm playing at Edge Fest, and Flip is one of the headlining acts. We mm -hmm. had already played a few of them. And John Domigal was supplying some of the equipment for the uh, festival. He was a rental gear guy. <laughs> and as I'm walking on stage, I see him standing right there. And I'm with my guitar tech, Dan Stressman, at the time. And it hit me again. Mm -hmm. And it bummed me out. Oh, really? I thought you were going to say you said something to him. Well, I did kind of. I did kind of. I didn't. I said, dude. I forgot something. Can you do me a favor? Hang out on my guitar for me. <laughs> said, sure. So I handed him my guitar, and I grabbed my guitar deck, walked off the steps of the back of the stage and stood by her truck and smoked a cigarette and watched him <laughs> hang out on my guitar. <laughs> Pretty terrible, huh? <coughs> and that was it. That was my that was my quiet that was my quiet revenge. And I just stood there and smoked a cigarette and drank a beer and just went... Yeah, I'll never work in this town again. <laughs> it's that uh, burning the silent bridge, you know. The guy doesn't quite know it, but uh, oh. Oh. Um, and Obsession became a real touring, regional big act. Um, a lot of people still talk about Obsession and fans of Obsession and stuff. Um, so how how many? I mean, you were talking. You were telling me once how many shows you played. You played like. 300 shows a year, 350 yes. shows a year, you're tra Todd, traveling all the time? At Obsession did a reunion show at the Caboose, and Todd McNerlin, the drummer who was kind of like the archivist, he was like our business guy, he took care of all the monies and okay. the crew and all that stuff, and so he had all the booking, the old booking uh, calendars, and there were two years specifically in a row, yeah, where we had played like 312 days at in two years in a row mm -hmm. and so you know the, the year before it was probably 300 and the right. year after yeah. it was probably 299 right. or something but yeah and then but and then you've never and then you never recorded anything i mean there was no recording we, we did obsession ended up with a deal with mary tyler moore records oh, okay you remember the Metro Stars, Metro All Stars yep, yep. album came oh, yeah. out on MTM. Okay, oh, okay. We got signed by them. We were managed by the same guy once again, Paul Moe and Don Powell, <laughs> who used to run the Minnesota yep. Music Awards. Um, got us signed, but was, just did, as we were to go into the Creation Studio Cookhouse, it was called at the time, with Jerry Steckling to start recording the album, uh, they she got her financing pulled. So we did get two songs done. Three. Did, but did they ever come out? No. Okay. But I do have them. Okay. One's called Mindhunter. The one I don't have for some weird reason is the good one. It's as if the good die young will live forever. We recorded their full level, full, and I don't have it. And I've contacted Jerry since to try to get it, and I can't. But the other one was a song called Raise Your Head, another song of mine called The Mindhunter. Okay. So we did start, but then it just fell but apart. Then, but then nothing ever officially came out. Yeah. And then uh, were videos, y y there's been some videos done since. Was there videos done at that time, or was videos not a thing when you well, were playing? Well, not really. We that did before do MTV? Correct. We did do like a video for If the Good Die Young Will Live Forever. And now video studios were a brand new thing. Video was a brand new thing. So to even be able to go into a room, not unlike this one, to be able to make a video at the time, especially from a fan who wants to donate his time and equipment to do it, was a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and also back then, 
you know, you talk today about releasing stuff. I mean, everybody can and does release stuff nowadays. Back then, in Minneapolis, we had Creation Sound and Sound 80, Mm -hmm. or Cookhouse and Sound 80. Now, we are way ahead of the curve in Minneapolis because 3M is located here. So those recording machines and stuff were here. Mm -hmm. So Sound 80 was literally like one of the main recording studios almost in the country at that time like a lot of the early guess who stuff was done there and Mm -hmm. yep Mm -hmm. so uh the idea of being able to release something back then was almost out of the right out of your reach like unless if santa claus came down the (laughs) chimney and wants to you know that's what it felt like back then like it was would have took an act of magic right and then when you did do the reunion show, um, you put out a, uh, a release yes. of stuff. And we're going to play a song off of that. So, t- Oh, before you go into that, yeah. I want to ask if you'll tell the story about having the accident. Um, before Car accident? Sh- yeah. Would you tell that story? Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is... This is um, intense. Well, it, it's a, it tells a little bit about how... See the yeah, scar and the scar and the yeah, scar? Uh, how, how dedicated you were. I think this... To, and not... Just then, Dedicated's but now. one word you could use. <laughs> you know, uh, how what music meant to you and what playing meant to you. I think this. Oh, everything. This, this tells a and, little story. You know, Don, I was in the studio before I got here, mm-hmm. working on a new yeah. song. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this is during the time when we're playing roughly 300 dates a year, yep. and we're in East Grand Forks, which is on the Canada, North Dakota, Minnesota border, basically. It touches all, I believe it touches all three of those states. We had played a place called, excuse me. I have to cough. Excuse me. And uh, we were playing at a place called Shenanigans. I'm so proud I can remember the name of the bar. Uh, And the gig was over. It's two o'clock in the morning. The crew had loaded out. Johnny Mack, who still works with me to this day in Flip. Uh, Steve Item, Greg, Cherry Forever's brother, and myself got in Irv's car to start driving home. Um, I'm in the passenger seat in the front. It's an early Cadillac. Johnny Mack's laying down in the back seat. I'm rolling a joint with a small tin cookie tray on my lap and Irv's driving, Steve Item's driving. It's pitch black out and we're in the middle of farm country. At 55 miles an hour, we hit an embankment. There's no, the brakes go out on the car. We go and hit the, it goes off the road and into the ditch, nose dives first into the embankment of the ditch on the other side. I go through the windshield of the Cadillac. The driver is pinned and it requires the jaws of life to get him out of the car. Johnny Mack, who was laying in the back seat, recalled that he had run to a neighboring farmhouse to try to get help. I don't remember this, but he says, I ran chasing behind him, screaming, don't leave me here, don't leave me here, don't leave me here. 
Um, my face was all bloody, and what he couldn't figure out was that the blood was already dry. So he was like, I must have been knocked unconscious, and we must have been sitting here for some time. Well, he got up to this back door of this house and was explaining to the woman what had happened, and I came running up behind him, covered up and covered in blood, and she slammed the door on him. Um, I don't recall walking. Then my next memory is waking up in the ambulance. So obviously she did call an ambulance, and... Uh, the bad moral to the story kids I wake up in the ambulance and I have black hair like Nikki Six or something pre Nikki Six actually I should say Nikki Six had hair a lot like mine uh, <laughs> um, I wake up and the doctor's going hello hello hey 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 how are you doing how are you doing and I come to pretty good pretty good uh, wow I'm in an ambulance. Yeah, you were in a car accident. Say, tell me, what is it? And he wanted to check my facilities. Yeah, uh, what, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a guitar player. Oh, you're a musician. Sing me one of your songs. And I look at him and I go, if the good die young, <laughs> we'll live forever. And at that point, he's like, okay, this guy's okay. <laughs> and I remember saying to myself, here's the bad part, kids. Earlier that night, Irv and I had dropped acid. I was on acid when I went through the windshield of a Cadillac at 55 miles an hour. And I remember waking up in the ambulance going, my first, one of my first thoughts was to look for IVs to see if they had put anything in me because I was afraid it would interact or oh, react okay. negatively with the, uh, and they didn't because I was prepared to tell them mm -hmm. I'm on LSD. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's bad. Oh, I feel so bad, kids. It was the '60s, yeah. and, mm. but then you—it was the '80s, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you were worried about playing that you were supposed to play that night. Oh. The yeah. next night, right. the next night, I made the gig the next night. So we're in East Grand Forks. I get woke up at 9 o'clock in the morning, get kicked out of the hospital because I'm uninsured. Johnny Mac is sleeping on a bench in the hallway. They had stripped all my clothes off me, and I was in doctor scrubs and those little paper shoe things. Mm -hmm. But they let me keep the cowboy hat I was wearing <laughs> in the accident, which was drenched in blood. Um. They kicked us out of the hospital. We go to the Greyhound bus station, make a phone call to my roommate, Gary Vogel, saying we will be at the bus depot, which was at that time across the street from First Avenue yep. still, the Greyhound bus depot. We will be in at 8.30 at night. I need you to pick me up there and drive me to Hopkins where I'm playing that night. Yeah, I made the gig the next night. Yeah, yeah. And I played in a chair, fully stitched up, stitches all over my face, still in doctor scrubs because I didn't have time to change clothes. And I'm sure I was loopy. Mm -hmm. um, I do remember stopping, the bus stopping, like in other towns to pick up people, and me and Johnny Mac could sneak off and smoke pot and get back on the bus. <laughs> um 
And I remember at that gig, sitting in a chair with all that stuff on it, and during these heavy metal times, people coming up to me and complimenting me on my new look. (laughs) (laughs) I love that it looks like you just went through the windshield on acid look you got going on. How'd you come up with that one? It was tough, but, you know, I went through a windshield on acid. (laughs) Only the best can do it. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. But yeah, and I mean, I played the night after that. Here's something that my my wonderful wife, Susan of, oh, good Lord, honey, I'm sorry. I think it's 36 years now. She took all my stitches out. Mm. How cool is that? Yeah. Uh, So let's let's hear uh, Obsession with uh, When the Good Die Young. Uh, Yes. And then when we come back, you can tell the story. This is another great story about uh, when you played in the bar and how you heard this, how you heard this song. Uh, you so got this, it. This will be obsession with uh, when the good die young.
gonna save me No way You be thinking gonna take me For your own pain You be thinking gonna kill me The good if, die young will live forever. Young. Yep, and uh, you said that uh, that was actually recorded. In yeah, the day the car. I'm yep. sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, Don. <laughs> no, I yep. get I get excited pretty easily. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was literally recorded the day of the car accident. Yeah, you said that it was, was yeah the sound check up in North Dakota there. Correct at East yeah. Grand Forks and Shenanigan as recorded. And I got to tell you, as a board mix at a sound check, that thing sounds good mm -hmm. from 1980, whatever it was. Joe Sinkowski, this, our, our live sound engineer, did a great job on that. I'm really glad we have it. Yeah, because it, it is one of the few, th it's, it's the only thing that's ever been put out, right? And yeah. You, and you have a CD you can get off your, yep. off your website, Rock uh, Steady Records, that has that. What, Correct. Four, four song, four or five songs. Four or five that. songs yeah. from that from that sound check, and yeah. uh, there are more. We, I think we did like, you know, at that we I wanted to catalog all of our original material at that time, and I want to say we did like fifteen, sixteen songs mm. at that sound check just to get them all on tape, and thank God he was as good of a sound engineer as he was because. I don't even think I could set up a van today on a stage and make a cassette recording <laughs> of them. That sounds that good. Right. Uh, and then there's also a great story about uh, the title of that song. That yeah. You tell about the bar. You wanna? We were playing in. Now I can't keep these two towns straight. It was either Brainerd or Bemidji. Okay. They're just one big yeah. cold town to me. <laughs> one has Babe the Blue Ox in it, and one doesn't. That much I know. One is Paul Bunyan, and one isn't. But I forget which is which. We're playing at a bar called the Corner Pocket 
It sold out. We did really well there. And uh, we're playing. And all of a sudden, there's a bit of a scuffle by the pool tables back at the other end of the room that I could see while we were playing. A gentleman had died of a heart attack while we were playing. And so the band, it was stop, stop, stop the band. Ambulance came in and everything. And I'm talking to some random person, and he goes, if the good die young, we'll live forever. And I went, bing. <laughs> and and I woke up the next morning at Joe Sinkowski's house where I stayed that night, drove home, and got his little cassette player and wrote, if the good die young, we'll live forever in one sitting. Yeah. It all came out in one, like, transportive weirdness like yeah. there's no i you know it's not like it's not like building a house where you sit down and go okay we're gonna need x amount of two by fours x amount of shingles x amount of screws nails blah 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 it's not how you write a song you just sit there and you start mm. and then you don't know where it's gonna go there's no end game there's no middle game there's no nothing and i can guarantee you this if you have started writing a song that way it's gonna suck <laughs> Yeah. because it just don't work it's yeah. not a math equation mm -hmm. and you just got to let it come through you to you out of you it's a crazy exhausting process mm -hmm. and you're still writing and writing all the time i mean i was writing and, this morning yeah and and uh so you've been writing from called i want to breathe okay and so you've been writing from like from ashes ash of evil you've been writing all through your whole life. I will probably um, be taking notes on my way home if a line <laughs> hits me. Didn't I text myself something already you just said? Uh, yeah, it's all day long. Yeah. It's it's all day long. And other funny things happen to me too. Like I hear little weird phrases and right away it's like, God, that'd be a good name for a band. <laughs> you know, weird. That's amazing. The, the it's somewhere between amazing and really... <laughs> Like horse with blinders on. Like, dude, can you do anything else? <laughs> Hand me that piano. Um, the the podcast that I do here, I usually I usually um, don't have any time limit or anything, and we usually just talk and talk and talk until uh. You're so and, easy to and, talk. To. Yeah, until it goes on. So they do go on for a long time. But you have uh, with all the projects you have going on, you have a big meeting with. Uh, can I say who the meeting's yeah. person? Okay, with Big Machine Records, which is Linda Perry's. No, label. not Linda oh, Perry's. I thought it was Linda Perry's label. No, I, I, I passed on Linda Perry's okay. label group. Uh, Brock and I did go hang with Linda. Okay. No, this is Taylor Swift. Oh, this is Taylor Swift. Okay. Uh, Scott Bruschetta, the biggest country label in the, in the world. Um, an artist I managed and discovered a youngster named Brock Gagne from the Adirondack Mountains up in. Uh, New York, right next to Canada, 22-year-old classic country singer, not new modern red cup truck. Yeah, we know you got a truck. Good Lord. <laughs> really? What do you think I am, an idiot? Uh, so, and, uh, so I've been in and out of Nashville lately getting his debut record ready. And you got a meeting with Big Machines, and, so you have to leave. So yeah, we're going to do a to, Zoom meeting. Yeah, we're not, we're uh, going to, kind of cut off the podcast here and pick it up at some other time with uh going into uh uh fun house and rattling bones and and flipping stuff so i, I 
it's it's great you come in, but let's talk a little bit more about Obsession than why we end this up. Or let's yes. even, even better, let's talk a little bit about uh, your solo. You, you put out a solo record. Well, you never put I, out I a solo. I never put it out. Never put it out. Is it actually a record? Is it actually... Yes. Well, phys- no, it was never printed into physical, I to be honest is, with you. Is there you. songs in an order? Is there actually an order of songs? Did I even run an order? Probably. There's 13 songs. And I really made the record because I was so into playing Hammond organ and writing songs. Yeah, there's a lot of Hammond organ on it. And I kind of took Hammond organ instead of guitar for a while there. I was really into it. And so got myself a solo deal and made the record. And then when when it was done, started putting the Odd Fathers together, which was kind of me tipping my toe back into getting back into it. This is after Flip kind of broke up before the Odd Fathers. Okay. Correct. And I went through drug treatment, took care of myself, raised some kids, uh, and decided to tip my toe back in the waters. The first thing was uh, the solo album, and this, but the band thing was really what I wanted to do, uh, and I didn't want it to be about me. Mm-hmm. Um so I wanted a band. I didn't want it to be, you know, I had thought hard about it too. Like, should I do a Bryn Arns band? Should I do a solo thing? And I just wasn't pre- prepared for that responsibility at that time. Mm-hmm. So put together a band that I was part of. And, of course, every place we had show up, it's like, you're Bryn from Flip. <laughs> and so all the questions would come to me. It, it, right. I couldn't help but end up being the point man. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, well, if that's going to be the case, Flip has real marquee value, mm-hmm. and that's when the reunion show happened. Okay. Um, why did the solo sh- record never come out? Because I was more into the Odd Fathers at the time, okay. and they, those two times were so close together. Mm-hmm. And there's a few songs on there that I'm just not that happy about. Uh the good news is is the label was kind enough when I called them and said, can we hold off on this? I mean, there's there's stuff on there I would still like to put out. Mm-hmm. A song called... You don't what? think the whole record will actually come out at any point? I, I doubt it. Minus two songs, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> and I also learned, I played every instrument on the record. All okay. the drums and everything did it at the terrarium. Jason co-produced it with me there, Jason Orris. And... Uh, I learned that that's kind of a dumb thing to do. I got nobody to blame. Like, (laughs) I could sit here right now and tell you that those two songs were written by that other guy, but I can't do that. (laughs) They were all me. It's me playing it. It's me sucking on everything. (laughs) Uh, Is that when the Daddy Rolling Stone? I love that. Yeah, is that when that came about? Yeah, good one. I have a version of Daddy Rolling Stone. On the solo record, which is different than oh, the one, different than the, yes. the All Star one. Different than the one I did. The, the video, there's an All Star. All this stuff is on on Rocksteady. I mean, if you go yeah. through Rocksteady, the website, you can pretty much see all this stuff, can't you? Yes. On the Facebook and yep. the website, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it, I mean, it, you know how it works. Google my name; it'll yeah. come. It'll show up. But uh, uh, so there is a different version of that. On, yes. That that's been recorded, but yep. and then how did the version? Of the video with the all-star thing well that was literally too a couple one hits and a cup of coffee in the morning and daddy rolling stone which i took the original idea from the johnny thunders first solo album 
Uh, and it's him and Phil Inot and Steve Marriott from Humble Pie switching off vocals on it. Now, on my solo album version, I'm doing all the singing. Mm-hmm. But after I'd finished, I went, God, you know what would be really neat is to get Robert Wilkerson, to get Curtis A., to get, you know, all these people on this and everybody sing along, God. And then it turned into a production thing. And then it was like, God, I wonder if I could actually do that, <laughs> edit all those voices together so it makes sense because mm-hmm. that you know without it sounding like right. ra- a, a racket and then when i finished that i was like god i wonder if i could make a little video with saying what line each person was saying mm-hmm. and i did that it came out cool I yeah think. it came out really neat and yeah it's really interesting the you know even just the still picture of all the guys together in the studio is just really cool to have that that amalgamation of people and talent all together and, yes. and see what see what was going on you know that's you know that that's the kind of stuff that i think a lot of people talk about community here and, and stuff and that was one of the things i wanted to ask you about is you've been in the business long enough that you know that there's a community you also know that there's got to be people that aren't community or oriented um that you know would Minnesota Music Academy much? (laughs) So, I mean, to see all those people like that together and doing that video and doing that song is really a a great point in time and a great great spot, and that's great that you did that. It was a really Uh, fun day. Everybody was so cool. I mean, uh, let's not pretend it was We Are the World or anything, but at the same time, it pleases me to know that I can call those people on the telephone Mm -hmm. and that... I've never screwed anybody over in this business. Uh, if I've ever screwed anybody over, it's more likely to be myself. Uh, I'm so non-confrontational as a person, not as a performer. <laughs> Maybe that's where it comes out, but uh, that I'm just not good at it. So the, the, the fact that all those, not good at it, that's a funny way to put it, because it's so normal in the music business to take advantage of people, <laughs> you know, entertainment business right. in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but it it, says, it means a lot to me that all those people would come on a phone call. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing this thing. Would you guys come to the terrarium and the studio donated their time? You know, it says a lot to how you've handled yourself up to that point, right. which is important to me. You know, being good to people is important. Um, so how many how many actual songs have come off that solo release. The distance is, you've got that, you can hear that. Yep. Is there any other songs? Daddy Rolling Stone, which is different. Um, is it all original? Is yes. it the rest of it? So Daddy Rolling I did a version of Leaving on a Jet Plane. Okay, okay. It came out really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a song on there that Flip plays that was a leftover Flip song called okay. Underground that came out really good. Okay. Um song i love on there that i might be playing for cheap trick next week called uninspired i feel uninspired i've been left out (laughs) in the cold it's a really cool that's a cool one I don't know. Don't, what should I put it out? You're making me want to put it uh, out. Or I'd like to done. hear it. I mean, even if you don't put it out, I'd certainly like. I'll, to hear it. Even, I'll, I'll even send with you some the, tracks. Even with the ones that you don't like, I mean, it, it's it's a you know. It, I know I, how I, I, I like these pieces of time and 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 going through your career, and that's kind of why I wanted to do this on the shows is go from the early to and then I I didn't know where I've heard the distance a bunch of times and the and Daddy Rolling Stone I've I've 
listen to them on the YouTube all the time, but I just didn't know where they fit in. And I thought they were New York. I thought it was when you were out kind of in New York and no. after roll, after uh, Rattling Bones and before Flip kind of in that. After but that, Flip. But it's interesting finding out that it's it's when you came back after after dissolving Flip the first time. And, Correct. And, uh, well, get, and Flip and, dissolving is an interesting thing, and, I, and we'll save this maybe for the next one, but I'll give you a tease here. The, so Freak goes to number 38. Artemis Records is really behind us. Mm -hmm. Danny Goldberg, the president of the label, got his first job in the music business from a man named Bill Coyne, who managed Kiss, and he got in the first press job working for Kiss. Bill Coyne was managing Flip at this time. Danny Goldberg had great respect for Bill Coyne. We went into the New York offices of Artemis Records after Freak had already done really well, and Danny was so pleased to tell us that I still love rock and roll. Had just gotten back from being tested for radio, and it's the first time in his life any song had tested number one in all crossover markets, from anything from supermarket radio to alternative rock. Every radio guy, tester person that they gave it to, it gave it a number one, said it's a number one. A week later, on the label at that time was Flip, Boston, The Pretenders, and Warren Zevon. <laughs> Warren Zevon, who was Danny Goldberg's really good friend, literally had just passed away, if okay. you recall that okay. at that time. Tom Scholes from Boston sues Artemis Records for unpaid royalties, wins. Chrissy Hind does not even need to hire a lawyer to do the same thing right. as precedent has been set. She does the same thing. Two days later, no more label. That's, and that's pretty much the music business. You that hear those is the music you business. You know, you hear those stories all the time, and that's that. You got to be ready for that. And, yes. And you know, it it seems like it's you know some people kind of crawl in a shell and go away, but other people come back and 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 keep it going, and and it's their love of music and their uh, love of the of the you know. Of the creative process. Yeah, yeah, and they can't do anything else. No, you know? so, I can't. Yeah. Good Lord, I can barely do dishes. <laughs> so, I mean... Did you hear that, honey? I don't know how to do dishes. <laughs> I just don't know how. I'm too dumb. But I can write a song about them. <laughs> but I wrote a song about it yeah, called Spoons and Forks, Dirty or Not, Here I Come. <laughs> but, but I can play the spoons, I just can't wash them. And uh, it always amazed me when, uh, when I used to watch MTV and they had the uh, behind the scenes and you see the ups and the downs of the bands. Yeah. And you see who goes away. And, and I mean, bands split up and some, some of them go away because they just can't handle it. And some of them come back up and, and uh, in the different forms and different uh, variations. And, and you know who's the creative and who's, who's the, the tag-alongers. And, and, right. And, and, you know. Who, that, that who actually stuff. puts gas in the tank, well, yeah. the guy who, who puts the right. creative gas in right. the tank. Or who cares and who doesn't care. I mean, it's, it's a little bit like whaling. Either. It's a little bit like whale fishing or, or mm -hmm. crab fishing. I mean, it's like, because once again, there's no math equations that are is going to say, next week I'm going to write a killer song. Right. You don't get to do, it don't work that way. Mm -hmm. So you just, it is a constant struggle, but it's not a struggle like, digging a ditch it's more of a pull like you're being pulled mm -hmm. to constantly do it and uh 
God, I, I just haven't been able to break the pole. That's good. Thank you. Keep you. up putting out good stuff. Yeah, I got. Well, at this point, you know, I don't see myself like <laughs> going to be a rocket surgeon. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're gonna end the show here. This will be basically part one A, and you can uh, we'll we'll pick up. We'll pick up later so you can get off to your meeting. And I really appreciate you coming in. I really appreciate you uh, willing to come back and, and talk to us again and kind of be John. Be I would. Some, I would. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying and, to think yeah, of what I wouldn't do for well, you. We're you're a great guy, and I appreciate back it. Back at you. Uh, we're gonna go into the distance, and this is off of a solo release that's never come out. Correct. But you can get this on on uh, downloads and things off of off of your. Oh, uh, the Rocksteady Rock stuff. label. So if you do want to hear it, and hopefully we'll hear more off this. I, I like this song and, and some of the stuff you've done during this area. So I appreciate I really that. Like I will stuff, definitely so. be sending you right. stuff. Thanks. So this will be uh, Bryn Arns with The Distance. Just sit. Every single.